We planned a podcast on stigma to start out Lung Cancer Awareness Month, and we recorded that podcast. It was about stigma, how it's defined, and what we could do to combat it. But after recording that, we continued to have a very interesting and important discussion about stigma. So we decided to do a second part of the podcast where we are having that very informal conversation that is really thought provoking and really helps, un- helps, would help people understand what stigma feels like. So please listen to episode 17 that came out on November 2nd, 1st, before you listen to this informal conversation. Thank you. Welcome to Lung Cancer Considered, the podcast of the International Association for the Study of Lung Cancer, a global organization dedicated to research and practice advances in thoracic oncology. You can find all our podcasts on SoundCloud at islac.org in the newsroom. I'm your host, Jill Feldman. Yeah, that was great, you guys. There's so many things we could expand on in the future. Yeah, I, I agree with that. We could do a whole podcast uh, series on stigma alone, I, I, I think, um, and engage folks. But uh, yeah, and, and that might be, Ella talked about uh, trying to get, or was it you who said maybe monthly something could be put in a publication? Jamie, maybe monthly mm-hmm. somebody could take over a certain piece of it and we could do a monthly podcast. Yeah, we did we did talk about approaching the IASLC about a um and Tim Tim Williamson who's a a, a colleague of ours is um, just finishing his fellowship at uh, Memorial Sloan Ketting with Jamie Ostroff but um he he had the brilliant idea thought is is having a the what do you call it? You know, a, a, a regular segment, perhaps, and uh, uh, in in one of the the publications from ISLC about stigma that we could various uh, people and more like a blog, you know, like a couple of paragraphs about stigma on a, on a regular basis, whether it's monthly or quarterly or whatever, and called it, he had the idea to, you know, the lung cancer stigma corner or cornering lung cornering. cancer stigma. <laughs> I like that. Cornering lung cancer yeah. stigma. That's wonderful. It's and that people, Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. I mean, we can talk, uh, talking about stigma. I mean, there's so many which ways of the language, the implicit bias, the, um, the effects of care. Um, I was so happy the other day, I had a patient who um, I asked for the lung cancer awareness to share her story. And she was, she's shy and she, uh, but she has, everybody will fall in love with her. And um, she says, I I don't know if I can share my story. And I'm like, you, your story is so strong. And she's going to do that now. And just to have that voice to say, yes, this is me. And this is what happened. And it's just, you know, so amazing when people share their vision or how they view it from their lens. 
and to understand that more on a, a deeper mm-hmm. level and then to how we can overcome that. How I mean, just like the MA that I worked with, she she had no idea of how just framing a question. And when I pointed it out to her, she goes, oh my God. And then after that, I mean, she never, ever, I mean, she was so great. So there's an, um, there's really an impressive receptivity to these messages. Um, when I give talks about, uh, about stigma, um, you know, when you give talks, people kind of crowd around the afterwards, you know, to ask questions that doesn't really happen so much with the lung cancer stigma talks. It's more one-on-one later on walking around, you know, people will grab you by the arm and spin you around and say, you know, I totally do that. I've been doing that for 20 years with my patients and I've been saying it that way. And I can't believe it. I'm horrified. I said, Mm-hmm. We've all had that. We've all had that perspective when we start this self-reflection, and so I just think that there's, it's, it's just like a, a stigma to people right. even to talk right. about stigma. You know, it's sort of layer and layer and layer. Well, and so the, the more we normalize it, that and talk about it, I think the more people are willing to own up to it. I'm sorry, Terry. No, that was me interrupting you. I'm sorry, but it, it's such a, a sense of true confessions, mm-hmm. right? And it's not just confessing the fact that it's been done. And so you don't want to get up and publicly admit it. Okay. And so they're starting to feel just a little bit of what it feels like when you've been diagnosed with something. And the first thing somebody asks you is it's your, is it, how much mm-hmm. of it is your fault? Yeah. And, and so that's the first sense of it. Yeah. And I, it's interesting because as long as I've been an advocate and I have tried to end the stigma, the first time I ever shared the vulnerable part of it was at the stigma summit where I actually talked about personal experience and, and in the article that for ILCN, I hadn't looked at that for two months. When I went back and looked, read it and when it was published, I like, I could feel the pain all over again. So that stigma is because God knows I wear everything on my sleeve. And I talk about everything. I am an open book, but that stigma experience is so deep rooted and so painful. And it's, I think it was the first time I realized that really how bad it was. But I have to tell you, I told Terry this, I had an experience with um, a lung cancer, Gina, who, Helen Beck, who's a lung cancer patient and advocate. And she called me and said, Oh my gosh, after I heard you speak at the stigma summit in February, something happened. And you totally changed my point of view. She said sometime after that summit, she got a call from a really good friend that their mom or dad had been diagnosed with lung cancer. So Gina called that person to talk to that person and say, okay, this is what you have to do. I have to get you into Dr. O, blah, blah, blah. And that person said, you know what, Gina, I I did this to myself. I don't deserve that. It's my fault because I smoked. Like you said, you never smoked. She said it hit her like a ton of bricks that she was out there saying, I didn't smoke and I got it. And she thought that was the message 
that should be told until the stigma summit. And then this experience, she said, it's my fault she feels that way. So, you know, the conversation, I think if we just can keep it going like this, could really start spreading the message. I noticed that we're still recording and I'm oh, getting sorry. the feeling. No, 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 no. Just yeah, keep recording. Okay. It's, it's kind of, this is kind of like the, you know, those late night talk show hosts. They they just keep the, the recording and then post it on, on you know, the edition on, on the web. Right. And this is kind of what I was getting the feeling of like that. And now, now, yeah, this is great. You know, this kind of a, you know, more free flowing discussion is also uh, really cool. But I, I was thinking it's just such a divisive, uh, you know, boundary, you know, non-smoking lung cancer, smoking lung cancer. You know, it's, it's um, I've worked with so many people who, you know, want to be advocates um, and haven't understand it, understood why, why people won't rally to their cause. Well, if you're out there with the, uh, you know, always championing, I didn't smoke, I didn't smoke, you're, you're, you're alienating a huge percentage of the lung cancer community by, by, by making that your primary message. I mean, the whole, the whole point of this is that the cause doesn't matter. And frankly, this is the other subtle thing. You can smoke for for a billion pack years and get lung cancer for another reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I think people. <laughs> I've always no one, said. Yeah, or on the flip side, why do the majority of people who do smoke don't get it? Why aren't we looking at what protects them? And as you said, Jamie, those people that would get it anyway because whatever is protecting those who don't get it we don't have or they don't have. So it's really, that is interesting. But I do, I think the pervasiveness within the community that is so divisive is almost that unintentional consequence, just like the, you know, tobacco smoking cessation campaigns. They have these unintended consequences, which is stigma. And the I never smoked, but I didn't smoke response is what that unintended consequence is. It places, it shifts this heavy blame and shame on anyone with a smoking history. It is literally saying, I don't deserve this. You deserve it. And I've been in advocacy for 20 years now almost. And there used to be a lot more people who had a smoking history involved in advocacy than there is now. And it really is, it's sad. But I will have to say, if we continue to be categorized by our smoking history, so if we're in the medical records, if we continue to be never smokers, non-smokers, former smokers, or current smokers, we will never get rid of the stigma. Jill, I agree with you. And even looking at the whole biomarkers, you know, we know that um, the EGFR mutation happens more in in non-smokers or never smokers and more in women. And so people are kind of like, oh, never smoker, woman. Okay. Yes, that is a higher likely chance that they have a mutation. But I have had patients with the EGFR mutation and current smokers, former smokers, never smokers, 
all races, you know, I have Hispanic, uh, African-American, white, men, women. One of my first patients that um, was diagnosed with lung cancer in my screening program was a woman who had a 60 pack year history of smoking. And she was an EGFR patient. That is what was, I was, so you can't, you can't say that the smoking history defines the pathway. We need to be able right. to, to do molecular uh, genetic uh, biomarker testing on every single one, regardless of their smoking history. And we need to treat patients individually and look at their individual risk, which may include mm-hmm. smoking and may not include smoking. It, we're, we're working with the disease of lung cancer. That's what, that's mm-hmm. what we need to be working on. And treating the patient yeah. holistically, not treating the disease. Treat the patient holistically. Yeah. We always say that your judgment cannot replace biomarker testing. Like, that's right. That's it. And I've heard that from quite a few people is that in a lot of like the Facebook groups and stuff that are, are not associated with me, it's like, no, I'm, I'm a former smoker or I'm a current smoker, so I don't need biomarker testing. It's like, how can you say that's that? True. How can your doctor say that? And it's like, well, you know, maybe if I don't respond to these treatments, then maybe we'll get it done. That is, that's, that's presumptive. That's insane. That that has nothing to do with data. That has nothing to do with anything. And then you're not, it's, and that is just like, you know, shooting blindly. That's just pointless. Just, just completely pointless. But, you know, I just really wish people would stop hiding and and you can't stop hiding. I'm accepting the blame by hiding. And that is so hard to stop doing. I got to tell you, it's hard. It's 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 a vicious cycle. Until we do a better job of supporting individuals who are diagnosed, we're not going to have a, a body of advocates that allows us to have a 50,000 people show up for a, a lung cancer race for the cure type event. Um, and it's such a vicious cycle that it, you know, if you don't support, you're not going to get a cadre of advocates. Um, and, you know, the you know, changes in treatments are, are you know, are giving us a, a better opportunity to have more um, long-term advocates, but it, it's such, <laughs> it's a hard thing to overcome when the thing you're trying to overcome is specifically hampering mm-hmm. your efforts to build momentum. <laughs> That's true. It is a vicious, I agree. It is a vicious circle. And I do think you guys are taking that first step and I think that is the most important step. And I just keep in my mind thinking if they could do it with HIV, then we can do it with lung cancer. It just is going to take time. Yeah, we need to stop making it going for the easy headline. The easy headline is never smoker gets lung cancer. Right? Yeah, no. that's, that's the clickbait, right? It's But it's easy, okay? And we're stupid as a society, okay? I mean, we let's be let's be real. Look at look at the headlines, right? Okay, any headline, pick anything. In order to get your attention, they're all competing for it, right? And so, who am I going to click on? I'm gonna I'm gonna click on on the cute puppy, okay? Or I'm gonna click on the one the never smoker. I'm not gonna click on on somebody is like, well, yeah, but they kind of got what they deserve, you know, and with just even me showing up at a lung cancer support group, I was expecting to see people attached to oxygen wheelchairs, right? Uh, their last breaths. And so I was shocked when I didn't find that, when I didn't see that. Bill, I'm glad you highlighted the HIV work because um, I wor- worked very closely with that population from uh, when I started in, uh, as a nurse in the 1980s, I'm dating myself a bit, 
but and and HIV and cancer were highly connected with a lot of the HIV patients getting cancer and working with that population to destigmatize it. And the work that has happened has been really amazing over the years. So it is doable. It is doable. But a lot of it was, you know, how clinicians uh, talk to patients with HIV, their implicit bias toward it, um, getting rid of first the fear. Um, that we don't really have as much with lung cancer, maybe some, but there was a big fear of HIV. And then working through how do you talk to patients? How do you take a sexual history without being stigmatizing mm-hmm. with your language? How to include people? How to understand? And, and now that it has gone to a chronic disease, which it, lung cancer is getting there, mm-hmm. lung cancer is getting there. Um, so taking, you know, the playbook from the HIV community of how to decrease stigma, it's, it's a very similar thing. And, and we have so much work to do, but we're on that pathway. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I think on, on my, on my good days, like today, you know, I, I think a lot along, along those lines on my bad days, I get pissed off that it's, that it's, that it's taken so long for us to get here. I mean, that's pathetic. I mean, the, the, the lung cancer epidemic started long before the HIV epidemic and they have, you know, not completely evacuated, uh, HIV and age stigma, but let, let's say they put it in a, you know, in a right. box right. that where it, where it only reveals itself occasionally. Um, and you were so far behind and that is dispiriting and and disgusting. Um, and so on my rough days, I have to acknowledge that. Um, and, and so, but it, it does on the better days empowers me to think that, well, I think it's the innovation that's really, and the optimism that's really driving us and opening up this, you know, disgusting hidden topic that um that we're now feeling the rejuvenated to to -hmm. address or strong enough to address and tackle this head on and uh well it's true though i mean jamie historically people didn't live long enough to tackle this i mean my dad died three months after he was diagnosed my mom died six months after she was they were sick right? So when you only had three treatment options. And so we didn't have this army of advocates, I feel like. And I feel like that is one of the biggest changes. And that's one of the positives of social media too, is being able to bring a bigger community together even. But I think the other is we don't have a champion. HIV had Hollywood behind it. And I remember in my early years in, you know, the early 2000s, mid 2000s, probably through the late, like till 2000, I mean, 2009, 10, we worked really hard on finding a celebrity, somebody who would be a spokesperson. I mean, Matt Lauer's dad died of it. We talked to talked to him, Adam Sandler's aunt. We were in direct contact with him, Jeremy Piven. I could go on and on all the people. None of them wanted to touch it, not one of them. And what we've come to the conclusion, again, is because of that stigma. So every single one of them could say, well, maybe I smoked a cigarette here and there, or I was a smoker, I am a smoker, or I smoked marijuana, whatever it was, I we felt like each one of them could identify with that. 
where with HIV, in the beginning, it was all about who your sexual partner was. And if people could say, I'm heterosexual, I can stand behind it. And it has really, really been a problem. And the media is the conduit of information. And when, what, in 2013, who declared uh, outdoor air pollution as a leading cause of lung cancer? Where was the media attention? It, I mean, so I feel like we, you know, we are also struggling with that. And that's why it's taking mm-hmm. a lot longer to get there. Jill, I agree with you. Just like RBG with her cancers, everybody, pancreatic cancer, when it was in her lungs. Nope, they didn't. No, they said a tumor in her lungs. Yes, yes. They didn't say lung cancer. They said a tumor in her lungs. I'm like, this is lung cancer. RBG, be with us. They did that with Brian Gumbel too. Do you remember when he had a tumor in his chest? Yes. And with Jimmy Valvano, North Carolina oh, no. basketball coach, he died of lung cancer, flat out. And when we started our first golf outing in 2003, we were talking to his brother, Bob Valvano, who's still at ESPN, and he was getting involved, getting involved. And the Jimmy V Fund, you know, their website was up and they were moving along. All of a sudden, a complete disconnect from us. None of our emails were answered. And you go on the website and it no longer said he died of lung cancer. It said he died of adenocarcinoma. And it, I can't tell you, I mean, it was like the most devastating feeling because what are you going to do from there? And we reached out and we got no, we didn't get an answer and we didn't get an explanation. And yeah. That's exactly, and it's still, okay, I'll stop. Well, Jill, Jill, I was today years old when I, when I learned that uh, Jimmy V died of lung cancer. Seriously? Yeah, I thought he died, I thought he had died of brain cancer, uh, a brain tumor. Nope, it metastasized, but. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a class, that's a classic, you know, you, you know. (sighs) Of course, lung cancer um, metastasizes, and then people claim that. You know, my my in my lab, we we wanted to do a, a study of um, and apologies if this is too morbid, but of obituaries uh, for prominent individuals who died of various types of cancers to see who where it was mentioned. Um, and how it was mentioned, you know, as just another evidence of, of stigma. We didn't, we decided not to do that um, for the reason is, is we want to turn the corner. We have plenty of evidence mm-hmm. to, to say that lung cancer stigma exists. I mean, there's just no reason to have another, to allocate so much time and energy to collecting all that information and doing all that information to prove something that we already know and a slightly different manifestation of it. And we really wanted to use our energies toward doing something about it. And, and while you could perhaps, uh, you know, do a, a journalism focused intervention to, to change that, um, we, we, we just didn't think that that was a great use of our, our time. But I, but I continue to think of it as a great example of, of how society um, 
configures and presents uh, lung cancer. But I totally agree with you about efforts to try and find that that community that that has a pre-existing platform um, um, of, of people to rally around and that that isolation and and finding that that public champion to to be able you know like a katie couric who who was willing to be vulnerable with regard to colorectal cancer um to to move the needle and you know we 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 tried to find those and i think people have been mildly successful on a local mm-hmm. basis but no one we even we even thought about um trying to f- <laughs> trying to partner with, I mean, this sounds desperate, but who are people who are going through a public relations nightmares, you know, right. that they are being dragged through the mud and find, hey, partner with us. We'll be a, a story together. We can we can re- rehabilitate ourselves together and be the voice and, and partners, you know, and at, at one time, um, like AT&T Joe Paterno, was, you mean? <laughs> yes Uh, a fellow a big big 10 football fan as well um but but literally it was at&t was having some kind of you know public relations debacle and we think uh let's let's reach out and say you know the lung cancer advocacy we could both be a breath of fresh air you know uh, uh, a a new day uh you know something like that to partner with each other because they're they're vulnerable, we're vulnerable. Let's be vulnerable together and see if we can't help each other towards something. And so, um, like I said, I realize it sounds a little desperate, but it, it's kind of, you know, I don't think it's desperate. And I think <laughs> with the wildfires in California, the bad quality of air, all of that, um, yeah, we just need the resources. It hasn't been normal. It hasn't been normalized. Lung cancer hasn't been normalized. My mom, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, you know, and it, it, when she was first diagnosed, I mean, you didn't talk about that, you know, that was a private matter. Right. And so you didn't want to talk about, you know, your female body parts and then it's, it's become much more of a thing. So there's some way that you can kind of take that and turn it. And it's not necessarily going to take like a Ryan white and an Oprah in order to take it and, and turn it into a Hollywood moment, but we can take and normalize it in some manner, you know, and, and whether that's within just, you know, I, I don't know, like, TV shows, or I don't, I'm not current enough on a TV show anymore, but you know, whether it's in a TV show or in a movie, right? I mean, that's, I still go back to, you know, like, um, you know, what was it? Greece came out like, I don't know, 1977 or 78 or something like that. Okay. What is the iconic moment in that? And when she's yeah. all decked out and she's got that cigarette hanging, she's right. Okay. That is the iconic moment. And right there, yeah. you defined my high school. Okay, because that is your moment of cool, right? Okay, yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, But you know, but that is your iconic moment. And I find it hard to believe none of us are like, we're all just walking around. Oh, no, 1970. Oh, no, I was proper. Are you kidding me? You are lying. Okay, you're lying and hiding. And you know, but it's scary. Sometimes I think about you know, the, 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 oh, as no. I said, that the, the <laughs> cigarettes are strong and creating dependency and addiction. I mean, it makes us, you know, I mean, 
it makes you that that besides a nicotine being highly addictive, it the habit of smoking is highly addictive, and it becomes mm-hmm. a comfort. And it's something that starts often in the teenage years when you're in, and it changes the chemicals of your brain. Right. And no, nobody wants to be oh, defined sure. by something oh, they sure. did as a teenager. And this addiction is well, multi-generational. <laughs> You know? There may be a male-female no. difference there because I think many, many men live uh, their high school uh, football. Oh, that's true. Okay. Or, okay, or Jimmy, sports, you're right. Uh, sports histories, and they wish that they could be defined by that uh, junior high uh, sports <laughs> success. <laughs> but that's what that's to be so honest. Funny. Well, I, um, okay. I, you know, thinking along the lines of changing, normalizing, um, it just made me think of uh, last year when they did the Today Show episode. Well, I got in touch with that uh, producer and I ta- said, hey, you did this fantastic segment last year. It really talked about lung cancer. Please don't stop. We have had that happen before. One time is not enough. Lung cancer awareness is coming up. We have this, you know, our political climate going on. We need all the help we can get. And I gave some ideas. And one of the ideas that I did give, I said it would have to happen after the election, but um, that Biden's, what is it? It's press secretary or who is that kid that has lung cancer? Duckworth. So I gave, you know, TJ, I, that idea, I forgot what else, but um, if you guys have any other ideas, to shoot over there, any story angles, any, anything. Um, I just want to keep throwing it at them. Me, mail me, let me know because do you I'm know trying to guilt them into his, it. Yeah. Do you know more about his um, lung cancer diagnosis? So it's interesting. Would they be open? I, I don't know. And that's why I say we got to wait till after the election. I actually assume he's elk because the, what I read was that he took several pills a day, yep, I, not I saw one pill a day. So I'm thinking yeah, so the way, yeah. So, um, which is fine. You know, it doesn't matter as long, you know, I, I would, since I'm not in the segment, I can't control it. But one of the things that I loved about last year was I said to them, listen, if you want to talk about smoking, you've got the wrong person. And here's why you shouldn't in our community. If you want to talk about lung cancer, I'm in. And then obviously smoking's a part of it, but we need awareness on lung cancer. And I thought they did a fantastic job. So hopefully they'll keep that focus. Hopefully they'll do something. I don't know. But do you guys think that in general, I mean, it's the other cancers too, that it's like, oh, well, we can, we can keep lung cancer down. Okay. I mean, strategically speaking, okay. They can keep lung cancer down and from a funding, from an awareness and, and, and maybe it's not, I think in some ways it's more intentional. Okay. And I don't, I'm not just saying this because it's, you know, because of the whole pink month and all, but, you know, but in, in general, I mean, it's, it's there and it's, above and beyond just these. Oh, yeah. It is incredibly complicated. I mean, with the DOD, you know, it's a zero-sum game. And if we get more funds, somebody else gets less. And and I think 
I think in many ways, um, the Komen Foundation um, has been so wonderful, but also created so much uh, toxicity in, in some other ways that, you know, we're all trying to carve out smaller and smaller slices of the pie by focusing on on, on single um, cancers and it, it's really hard. But um, I would much rather spend the rest of the day talking with you guys. I know. But I have a dissertation defense. I have um, a meeting coming that up I'm too. Actually, that, that I'm actually chairing and is going to be real embarrassing if I don't do some prep. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll stay on. So, Sorry. All right. We could go on and on. Jamie, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> Oh, it was great, great meeting you, Mary, for my first time getting to meet Mary. Yes, my time. Um, I've been following you and seeing what you're doing and going to your sessions on the virtual uh, conferences. So thank you so much. I know that you uh, work with a a colleague that I so admire. Yes, yes. All right. Uh, Strickland, thank you very much. And and team and and Jill and Terry, good to see you again. And uh, hopefully uh, again real soon. Thank you, guys. I hope that's okay that we stayed on and chat. When Only we're fine for me. Okay. I loved it. Jill. <laughs> hey, Jill, I do have a question. And I, I talk about, you know, smoking causing 15 different cancers and how to frame that. So many times I've talked to um, even the healthcare community and they'll say lung cancer and smoking And I said, do you ever blame people with kidney cancer and bladder cancer and GI cancers? And I mean, they don't think about those other cancers that are highly correlated to smoking and it doesn't have the stigma. We, we know that that's because of the, uh, the tobacco, uh, the campaign to stop smoking. But I, I try to think about how to frame that. You don't want to stigmatize all cancers. Um, but you want to get rid of it. You do want to normalize things. Right. And so it's interesting because it's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I think, okay, so you need to know whether somebody has a smoking history or not, but again, with the, and there's like 22 other diseases associated with smoking, but they don't get labeled. Right. Um, And I don't think it is stigmatizing it. I think it's normalizing it. And so, um, you know, one of the things is that by tying it only to smoking, then you're forgetting about the importance of it with other cancers, number one. And um, number two, by tying it to smoking, you're also negating every other risk factor for lung cancer. So I think it really is finding the words. And what we've done in the lung cancer community is really, or what I've tried to do, and I think I know Terry does, and hopefully other people are as well, is talking about risk factors. You know, I always say cancer is complicated, right? There is no simple cause and effect. And just getting people to think about it as a risk factor as opposed to a cause really kind of shifts the, the meaning. Um, and so, but it's, you know, I mean, I think in some ways you win and some ways you lose and it's just really, I really believe going back to that, um, 
compassion, empathy, self-reflection, and language, because I do think that that language. So one of the things that we all do, I probably did it on this podcast, you guys, is calling somebody a smoker. That's labeling them by their behavior, right? So we're really trying to push for that person first language, a person who smoked. And it's much harder. And again, I screw up all the time on that stuff. Strickland, if I did that, please edit that out. (laughs) No, I totally agree with you. And I think about that even even with um, I I speak on uh, African-American health disparities and lung cancer. And I try, I, it's not an Africa, African-Americans, it's African-American individuals or African-American ever smokers, depending on what I, and when I publicize, I'm always going through my, my language. Yeah. Yeah. So it is, and that's a tough one and that's, but you know, we're consciously trying to make that effort. And I think that that's, what's important. And one of the language guides, one of the things that I think is very important is that person first. And but I also think it's very important to have people like you guys or like us as patients say, listen, none of us are perfect. We screw up, you know, almost if you're in the like we were talking one time, Jamie uh, had students had said something like I'd love to see some uh, some key opinion leader giving a presentation and stop him or herself and say, oh my gosh, I just totally screwed up. I shouldn't have said smoker. I should have said the person smoked or whatever it is. And so it's just kind of, you know, our approach as well, especially to the healthcare community, not being accusatory or confrontational, rather just approaching in a way that they can understand why we're doing this, what it is, what the harms are, why we're doing this, and we're just asking you to try, it, you know, nobody's expecting perfection. So, well, and that's really funny that the way you say that too is okay, because I'm a, a former smoker, right? That's the in label. In order to quit smoke, right? Okay, it's a label. But in order to quit smoking, I had to mentally and emotionally identify with I am not a smoker. Okay, I'm past that. I'm choosing a different lifestyle. I'm choosing to not be that person. And so that's what made it so hard is getting diagnosed. And then that's the thing that they point to. Right. So let me ask you a question. If you change the language, you say, I am a person who doesn't smoke. Yeah. Is, you know, but you, do you hear, do you hear that like the difference in, in the just yeah. different internalizing it? Right. And so it's, it's, it's crazy. And you don't even realize it. I don't even realize it until later on. It's like, why was I getting so pissed? You know, and and it's like, you can't even put your finger on it. And it's like, what did they say? It's like, is I don't like them. I mean, what did they say? And you start pulling it apart. And it's like, you know what? It's because I've moved past that. Mm -hmm. I am no longer that smoker. I'm no longer. And so seeing it like, you know, the, I haven't been to a ton of research conferences, but seeing it up there, it's like, there's, there's current smokers and former smokers. One, one, one line item. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Okay, so how, how is it one gets out of that? At what point does one get out of that? How come they're not including other risk factors? How come they're not including the fact I live two doors down from a factory? Mm-hmm. How come they're not including these other things, right? You know, and, and so there's there's all the, you know, there's yeah. so confusing. But in order to mentally quit and emotionally come past that addiction, because like I said, my whole world smoked, the whole world smoked in my world, the whole world smoked, and it was almost out of defense. I had to mentally and emotionally become different than mm-hmm. that. And that's hard to do. Disconnect, yeah. It's hard to disconnect. And so it's, it's like reowning it again. And, and so, you know, this is, it's, it's been a tough, it's tough for me. And I'm pretty, I'm pretty vocal and people will talk to me about anything, right? Um, but at the same time, you have to come, be willing to come out and do that. And there's so many people, it's like, you know, everybody goes around, it's like, oh, I was never smoker, right? This is that, you know, who would have thought, blah, blah, blah. And then it's, and then, you know, comes to you and you're like, okay, do I own this or do I just keep moving on? Right. And how many other people aren't saying anything? So, you know, how could drug, sex and rock and roll be a big thing? And then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, oh, nope, that never happened. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Well, it's like I've said to you, whenever anyone wants to say, like, I'm considered a non-smoker, whenever anyone wants to say I'm a never smoker, I'm like, oh, no, I'm not. I enjoyed a few years (laughs) in college where I smoked different, you know, like, no, I'm not a never smoker. I mean, so guess what? And why do people want to me to be a never smoker because they want me to fit this profile. And so well, because you're clickable, you're much more clickable that way. Right. right? And it's like, if, if, if you were somebody else who had gone on and talked about quitting smoking and had and had lung cancer, right? I was not people would not have been sending me all the podcasts and all the thing when you are on Good Morning America. Okay, they would not have been sending it to me. They were sending it to me. It's like, yes, yes, I do know her. Okay, now it's like, yes. What do you want? An autograph? I mean, like, okay, but that's what made it interesting. And what made it interesting is the because the parental part, right? And so you're seeing it different generations, Mm -hmm. you know. And and so I, I it's a tough one, yeah. And even I know on the print part was awesome about not really, you know, going there. And not saying anything about it even. And at the end, I said, I know you're dying to ask me (laughs) if I ever smoked. And I I appreciate you talking about lung cancer, not that. And I said, here's the way it's categorized. There are never smokers who have never inhaled. There are non-smokers, you know, and I went through the whole thing. I said, I am a non-smoker. I had I smoked, you know, I said flat out, I smoked marijuana when I partied. Sometimes I smoked you know, a cigarette here and there in college, but I'm really basically what they considered a non-smoker, you know, from the time I've been 19 or 20. Um, And she goes, wow, well, I guess I'm not a never smoker either. And so I was like, okay, so we don't know, but um, when they printed it, it said non-smoker, but so they used the right language, but they gave, they were trying to give a dip. We know what impression they were trying to give and it bothers the hell out of me. So, yeah. 
And I know that they weren't in charge of it, but it's, right. but that's what made it interesting, right? That's what because it's all about the numbers. Let's let's not lie, right? Okay, they're trying to get people to watch, right? We're trying to find an angle. What's going to make me interesting? Okay. I wasn't interesting until I found out I had KRAS and started doing something. I was still in the lung cancer community, but nobody was hearing my voice. Mm-hmm. I was nobody special. I was just somebody out there, right? Okay. And there's, there's hundreds of thousands of us out there mm-hmm. that are just doing nothing, right? But I have something I, interesting. I have a family history. And they still, I mean, they did well, focus yeah. on it a little bit. But my God, I'm a third generation on both sides of my family. Well, yeah. That they'd rather focus on the whole, you know, smoking aspect of it. I'm like, oh my gosh. Well, anyway, what for, it turns out, so like, I didn't even know that my grandmother died from lung cancer, okay, in the 60s. We didn't, you had cancer, you didn't even want to talk about it, right? So it's like, but it, I didn't even find out recently till I was talking to my 80 plus year old aunt, who's like, well, yeah, but she never smoked. <laughs> <laughs> You also was raised by coal miners. Okay. <laughs> I, I believe, and I don't know, I can't remember the fact right off the top of my head. Maybe, maybe either one of you would, but before the smoking epidemic, I think lung cancer was the fourth or fifth leading cause of cancer death. You it know, was before, something. It was, I mean, it was high up. There. It was still high. Yeah, it was high. It was- Industrial right. revolution happened around the same time cigarettes were invented too, right? Right. So, you know, I think that that's not taken into consideration enough. And again, there's not enough research into environmental causes because everybody's so focused and all the money has gone towards, you know, smoking cessation or nothing because it's well, self-inflicted. Because, because it was easy, an easy way to get money from the tobacco companies. Okay. And, 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 and any, I mean, when you look at it strategically, right, they could point to the tobacco companies and say, let's go after those guys because it couldn't be us, the industry. Mm -hmm. Okay. And, and I'm not saying, I don't think it's just one group that's responsible. I really, I really just don't. I think it's everybody. And some people, I mean, we're all going to die. That's the thing that we're all trying to pretend is that we're not going to, but the reality is we are. Mm-hmm. And statistically, if, and if it's not an accident, it's probably going to be cancer or heart disease. Thank you for listening to Lung Cancer Considered. You can find all our podcasts on our website at www.iaslc.org in our newsroom or on SoundCloud. Please take a moment to rank, like, and share your favorite episode with all of your colleagues.